we've been talking about the, the exchange between God and Moses and around the burning bush. And uh, I want us to look in the fourth chapter here. This is an extensive uh, amount of scripture in the handout. You can look in your Bible, of course. But I want to read. I'm not going to spend too much time reviewing where we've been. I am going to read through rapidly some of the verses we covered. But uh, I want to move into the, what we have left in the, in the text. And so in verse 1, Exodus 4, verse 1, then Moses answered and he said, but suppose, he's talking to the Lord. He's talking to the Lord about the people he feels that uh, may not receive him properly, his own people. God's saying, you need to go back to them. I'm going to use you to help uh, bring a mighty deliverance out of the slavery that they were experiencing in Egypt. And Moses says, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord, we don't believe the Lord has appeared to you. And again, this is the third time, remember, that Moses has expressed a reluctance to accept God's commission. He keeps throwing out reasons why it can't work, it's not going to work, why the people aren't going to receive him. And it's almost humorous to watch Moses try to wiggle out of what, you know, he's just any, he's looking for every avenue to escape what almost looks like an inevitable, because uh, God's just not budging and he's, there's checking and counter-checking going on. It's actually quite, it's unusual to see this level of interaction going back and forth between God and, and a person who um, the Lord is trying to speak to to respond. I mean, it's, it's actually not as common as it would seem to see this level of dialogue and exchange taking place over a willingness to be responsive. It really has a lot for us to live into and live out of. And so, uh, we just kind of read forward here again. We're not going to spend too much time on these verses that we covered last week. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. We talked about how that rod was his staff, his walking stick. It is an extension of who he was as a shepherd. He had, it was shaped around his very grip, something he was accustomed to using in, a, in a, a wide variety of different ways. And he said, I want you to cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now, here's where we move forward. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, I want you to do something else. I want you to put your hand in your bosom, that is on your chest, through your garment. And he put his hand in his bosom and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, even as, even as snow and and uh, again, for us, this image may not be as impactful as it would have been for Moses. Leprosy is not a disease that, that we're maybe common with, but whenever you read, you know, we, do, we don't really uh, experience it in our society, and it's been eradicated for the most part for a number of years all over the world as well. But it wasn't too long ago where there were leper, leper colonies still in existence, and there are still places in the world where it does actually happen at times. Um, Leprosy was probably the most feared disease one could acquire, certainly in the Older Testament and even in the New Testament. You'll see Jesus interacting with lepers. Lepers had the ignominious um, sort of stigma, if we can call it that, of being not only sick unto death with leprosy, which was an kind of it's a skin disease where it would scale up and turn white, and then the body would begin to turn in on itself and eat itself up. Uh, to a point where even the, ultimately the eyes and the ears and the, the mouth would be affected. It was an awful disease that some have said that de death was welcomed after a period of time when one had leprosy. But not only did one have to deal with the disease of leprosy, but the idea is that lepers often had to let people know where they were going. They had to say unclean, unclean, 
Uh, they were segmented away from the rest of society. It was just an awful, horrendous disease to have. And it's, again, it was something that would have absolutely got Moses' attention. God says, put your hand in your garment, in your cloak, pull it out. And when he does, it's white, it's white with leprosy. And the Lord says, put it back in. Look what it says here in verse, in verse uh, 8. It says, it says 7, and he put, you put your hand back into your bosom again. Put it back in, into your cloak and your garment and on your chest. And, his, and it says he did this. He put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. And it came out clean, right? And so um, one of the things that is, is, is hard to miss here is how much the hands are a part of these opening verses in this chapter. I mean, how much this is a part of the conversation with God, I mean, that Moses is having. What does the Lord start off by saying? What is in your hand? Then what? Then he said, reach out your hand, right? It became a rod in his hand. Put your hand in, in your bosom. I mean, there's this, this, what do the hands do? The hands are what we do things with. We write things with our hands. We pick things up. We do work with our hands. We, do, we are, at, hands speak of activity. It speaks of energy. It speaks of work. And what God is saying in reality is, you need to surrender to me that I can work through you. And I want to work through your hands. I want to work through you. It's, it's going to be you, but it's going to be me working through you. And so, so much of the, the, the movement here that is miraculous, is connected to things that are either in Moses' hands or on his hand itself. And again, there was, that was not a coincidence. Verse 8, it says that God goes on to say this, and then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter sign, which is basically God saying this, that if they don't believe you after you tell them I've appeared to you and given you the revelation of my name and as proof of my intention to deliver them, then they will believe me because of this. They will believe you because of the signs that I'm going to do through you. Specifically, one of those signs will be connected to that staff that you hold in your hand, that rod. It will be a it will be a sign to them, powerful displays that you will do before Pharaoh with that rod. And then also in relation to disease, the leprosy appears to have symbolized in so many ways the plagues that were going to be falling upon Egypt, as God tries to break Pharaoh's um, stubborn pride. Um, refusal to let go, let let the people go, and there's going to be this confrontation that takes place. And then the Lord goes on to say one more thing in verse nine. I just kind of want to move through this. It says, "And it shall be, if they do not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land." He's talking about the the the, the Nile um, River. Um, and the judgment that would fall upon it. The Nile was reg regarded as the center of Egyptian life, the source of Egyptian strength, fertility. Uh, it was the center of its economic activity uh, and prosperity. And so the, what the Lord is saying is there's going to be a number of things that are going to happen here, and I'm going to do them, and they're going to be miraculous and powerful, and I'm going to work those things through you. And so you would think Moses at this point is going, wow, God, you're being so detailed in what you're going to do. But Moses is a tough sell. He, he, he is stubborn. He, 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 notice what he does. He doesn't even respond to what the Lord is saying, and he thinks of something else. Another reason why this can't work with me in it. And look what he says in verse 10. It says, then Moses said to the Lord, not, can we clarify some of these things? No. He says to the Lord, Lord, you know, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since I never have been since you've spoken to your servant, 
And, and in fact, right now, whatever else I was, and we, we have an indication that Moses was trained in rhetoric in the courts of Pharaoh, but Moses is saying, you know, at this stage of my life, I, I've never been a good speaker. Right now, I can't speak at all. I haven't done any type of real communications. I've spent a lot of time alone with sheep, right? Um, I'm, not, I'm not good at talking. I'm not fluent. Uh, I, I can't communicate. You know what Moses knows? He knows the level that is going to be required when he goes back to Egypt and in the courts that he's going to have to engage Pharaoh in. And he's thinking in his mind, I don't have, the, he knows the caliber of communication that's going to be expected just to represent things. And he's thinking in his mind, I lack the skill. I lack the capacity capacity that's going to be needed here. I, essentially, I'm going to be, be embarrassed. After all these years, I can't, I never was great. I can't talk. I can't represent you. I can't speak for you. I'm going to be laughed at, scorned, ridiculed, run out of town like a, like a, a wilderness shepherd, you know, who has nothing. I mean, I'm going to be embarrassment. I don't want to be embarrassed. Find somebody else. Lord, please, you can feel it coming out of him. God reminds Moses, what does he remind him of? Look at verse 11. It says that the Lord said to him, who, look, look, a series of rhetorical questions. Who has made man's mouth? Who, who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I, the Lord? You're talking about you can't talk. You say you can't speak. Listen, because you think those things are limitations to me? Come on. If I, if I want to, I can speak through you. You know, all I need you to do is do what I am asking you to do. Listen, I will give you the words to speak. You need to trust me. And I think for Moses, Far from being filled with faith, really, you see him pushing back. I was just trying to sit there and look at why is he, why is he pushing back on God so much? Well, I think he's afraid. I really do. I think he's afraid, afraid to confront his past. Um, you know, he, he's afraid of his own inadequacy for the task. He's been scarred by failure, by hurt, by rejection. He's, he's going to have to go face the people back to something he wanted to leave behind. That alone would have been distasteful. And then on top of it, now God's telling him all the things he's going to have to go do to represent him. He doesn't even feel like he has what it takes. I mean, there's this real sense of, of, of reluctance on the part of Moses, which is why he says finally in his last push back to God, he says, oh, and I just, I, it's such an honest, but it's stubborn in his own way. He says, oh, my Lord, please, look at verse 13, please, please, Send by the hand of, who, of whomever else you may send. Lord, I don't care whoever you want to choose, but please don't choose me. I don't want to do it. I'm not your guy. I'm not the person. I don't want this, Lord. Please, can you do this through someone else? Come on. Let me go. Let me. I don't want to do it. Find somebody else. That is, please find somebody else, Lord. I don't want to do it. And look... <laughs> Yeah, it's just so clear. And the Bible says, and by the way, we don't ever want to get to what the point that Moses got to in verse 14. All right? So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Basically, what, when the, and that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing when God gets angry with, with him. And it's like the Lord says, you know what? It's one thing to be excessively humble, and it's another to be excessively stubborn. And what am I, what am I, everything you've thrown at me, and you've been throwing a lot, I've given you an answer for but you know what? You're not just doubting Moses. You're not just doubting you. Now you're starting to doubt me. And you, you need to believe what I can do through you. I need you to choose to do this, but you're going to do it. You get that? Sometimes God says to us, it's our, it's our choice, but he really needs us and he wants us and he's commanding us to do it. 
and he's waiting for us to agree to move forward with him. And I, and, I, and I see Moses, and he's so reluctant. He's so resistant. And again, our hurts, our wounds, our sense of, of inadequacy can keep us from moving forward with things that God is trying to get us to respond to. And you'd think that, ha- that you, know, you know, one of the interesting other things in that 14th verse is that the Lord, after it says the Lord was angry with Moses, he says, he, but his mercy goes beyond his anger. And God says, you know what? Okay, you say you can't talk. You're, you're afraid you won't be able to speak eloquently enough. You, you're afraid that you don't have the skill set that will be required to do what I'm asking you to do. Let me tell you something. This is what the Lord says. I, all right, I have a solution. Is not Aaron your brother? Look at the 14th verse. Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? And I know that, that he can speak well. Oh, he can speak well. And look, he's coming out to meet you. Even now, I've set up a divine appointment. He's on his way to see you. You haven't seen him in years, but you will meet him. And I tell you this. I will te- uh, look, look at this. And when, you see, when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, this is what will happen, all right? Uh, uh, you, will, you shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall, what, teach you what you shall do. So basically, the Lord is saying this. Okay, Moses, you say you can't talk. You say you're not eloquent. You're afraid to speak. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to work, all right? I'll talk to you. You talk to him. He'll talk to them. That's how it's going to go. <laughs> All right, I go to you, you go to him, and then he goes to them. And that's in that you get past this thing, right? He's coming, he'll be, he'll be your spokesperson. And then it's like the Lord then just stops and he says, and by the way, so let's summarize what we've, what we've decided upon. One, I'm gonna, and that's what verses 16 and 17 are right here. He says, one, I've given you two things. One, I've given you your brother to be a spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be a mouth for you, right? So I've given you your brother, to represent your heart, because you say you can't speak, okay, I'll give you someone to speak on your behalf. And then I will also do something else. The other thing I'm giving you beyond a person is I'm giving you that rod and that staff, and it will be a representation and a vehicle of my power. That rod that you know so well, that is in a way a part of who you are, that you use in so many different ways in your life as a shepherd, that rod I will use to work my power through your hand into that. Think about it. It will be a, a, a tool for confronting Pharaoh. And this is what God says. So finally, Moses, in a, <laughs> he finally says, basically, I, I give up, Lord. I'll do it. I have one request more. Um, it's not, I'm not resisting you. I, I, I think I, I need to do something. And by the way, for those who can see it, it's an amazing spiritual principle. It transcends the Old Testament and reaches all the way into the New. Moses says, you know what? I need to talk to somebody to get their blessing to do this. Now, you would say, well, didn't God tell him? And didn't he know it was God? Absolutely he did. And he knew it was God, and he was going to do it either way. But what the thing is, it was important to Moses that someone who was a person who had spoken into his life, his father-in-law Jethro, who in many ways is revealed to be a kind of spiritual mentor to him, that it was important to Moses that he had the blessing not just simply break his commitment and go on his way saying, well, God, God's leading me. He wanted to, to end well with a blessing. And look what it says here in verse 18. It says, so, so Moses went and he returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, who said to him, please, and he said this, please let me go. I need you to bless me and release me to go to return to my brethren who are in Egypt. And Jethro basically said, go in my blessing. Go in peace. I bless. I recognize what God is calling you to do. I don't... I, I, I give you my blessing. And, and there's just something about going with a blessing. 
And then the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men, all the people, the, the, the Pharaoh who had sought your life, who wanted to kill you, they're dead. And Moses took his wife, his sons, and he set them on a donkey. He returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of what? Not his staff, but the first time it's mentioned, the rod of God in his hand. It's changed. The designation has changed from Moses' rod, staff, to the rod of God. Now, I say all that to get to this because in a lot of ways, God's exchange with Moses is indicative, I think, of how a lot of times he's trying to work in our lives. And I'd like to kind of look at it through that lens because I want to suggest that this is how God works to help us, listen, get past ourselves or our, ourselves or our own resistance to moving forward on things he's calling us to deal with. So the first thing I want to suggest is, number one, that he reminds us, you, just like he did with Moses, of who he wants us to be. That in Moses' case, it was the reawakening of a, of a long dormant call, specifically that had to do with him being a deliverer of his people. And it had to do with Moses seeing himself as the man God said he was, just like God will sometimes challenge the way we see ourselves in relation to him. And we might say, well, that's not who I am. And God will say, but this is who I see you as. And we may struggle with what God is saying we are and what we feel we are. And again, so many of our self-perceptions are connected to our upbringing, our early experiences, the way we've moved through life, the things that have happened to us relationally, frequently, has a whole lot to do. The things, that, the circles we've, we've run with, the, the, the things that have sort of compromised us, affect us, affected us, defined us at some level in our, you know, the things that we've struggled with. I mean, I, you know, I was talking to somebody who, I care a lot about, and we were, it was interesting because we were both talking about how in some way we, we, we were, just in the conversation it, it was, you know, the conclusion was that, you know, I, there's probably some issues connected to what happened with my family and how it blew apart, and we were, we were talking about that, and we were talking about how that affects relationships, and I said, you know, I, could, I can relate to that as well, you know. It does change how you engage relationally. Things affect us. We're commitments that are kept or not kept, models that we have in life, uh, words that are spoken over our lives, ways of being that families relate to one another. All of those things affect experiences we've had in our younger periods of life, things that have happened. You know, in Moses' case, not only does he grow up kind of different, never fitting in, but there's that early midlife crisis moment where he experiences a devastating rejection by his own people. He steps out in faith, willing to give up everything. He takes a risk for God. And then he's thinking, it's gonna, something's going to happen here. But what happens is not what he's expecting. He's completely rejected to the extent that not only is he humiliated and does he lose everything, but he is actually fleeing for his life like a coward on the run. And it's a remarkably devastating moment in his life where he, you can feel the hurt, the disappointment, the reluctance that he carries with him. 40 years, four decades, he's still got it on his mind. It's still there. I left that behind. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back to those people. I'm not interested. They won't believe me. They never believe me. They don't believe you. That's not how it works, Lord. You don't get it. They won't listen to me. I can't speak. One thing after another. All the reasons why. You know what? God, God's trying to get him to get past himself. And, and I think that a lot of times, if that's why the, by the way, I think that's one of the reasons why God, the Lord basically says, when you come into my presence, take off your shoes. And um, he has him pick something up and throw something down. And, and he has him put his hand into his, his he's, he's having him 
do small acts of faith. Because I think Moses is locked up. And he, he is, um, his, his faith has sort of been scarred and he's got himself into a rut and he's been impacted by things that have happened in his past and he can't move forward. And so it's almost like God is trying to break him out, almost like Moses is in deep freeze. And so God's just trying to get him to, to just thaw his heart and his will by this burning bush so that he can, in the, as the warmth of God comes over him, he can begin to respond again in a faith that is going to be required for him to move forward in the places that God has for him. And I think a lot of times we get stuck in things and, and, our, and our past begins to just sort of put us into a, a rut that we're just, this is how we live life. And God will at times challenge that and say, you know what, that ha- has been how you're living, but I want to heal this area of your life, or I want you to grow beyond this area, and I have a new thing for you. And so you're going to have to break out of this very familiar. See, Moses is going, I'm very comfortable here. I, I don't mind it here. I'm not, I wasn't praying to, to do anything for you. It wasn't like I was saying, Lord, I, I want to deliver your people. That was a long time ago. I'm happy where I am. And God's saying, no, 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 you, now we're going to move forward. And it's going to mean breaking out in a whole new way. Secondly, what does Moses say? I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. But this is the second piece here. God also is going to remind us, and I mean you and me at times too, that our weaknesses can be overcome. And just hear this for a moment because Moses was a man full of excuses. He was very much in touch with his lack and his eroded capacities, Right? I can't do it, I, used to, I, I don't speak well, all this, you know, duh, just everything. He, he, knew, he was really good at deciphering what he couldn't do and why he wasn't the guy. And, but what he wasn't nearly as good at was really actually believing that God was greater than those limitations. And God's trying to remind him. I, he, God doesn't even really argue with him over what Moses is using as excuses, whether they're valid or not. What God says, really, is that that really is a secondary issue. My, my friend. And, and, and it's something that we need to understand that a lot of times the Lord, and, and, and boy, isn't it amazing how the Lord just keeps working with him, answering him, respond, reminding him, responding to him, pushing him, working him back. I mean, rechecking. It's just, I'm reminded of the great truth, listen, that whatever God commands us to do for him, he will give us the grace to accomplish it. That the Lord never asks us to do anything for him or to address anything in our lives that he will not also show up to help us do. It's almost like the, the saying that, you know, when God is what guiding, he provides. When God guides, he provides. There's this sense that whenever God calls us into something, look, you're not, we're not going, if it's God, we're not going alone. He will be with us. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in this remarkable exchange with the Lord, it's recorded in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it says this, that Paul's talking, because he's talking about this area of his life. It's called, he calls it his thorn in the flesh. And he's struggling to get past it. And he says, look, and the Lord says to him, listen, Paul, you're fighting this thing so hard. He says he prayed three times intensely for God to remove it from his life. It wouldn't go. And God says to him, finally, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is revealed to be all that you need in your weakness, more than perfect in your weakness. It's like the Lord is saying, look, there's a blessing here even though you don't want it, and I want to teach you how to receive it. And Paul's like, Paul, the light goes on, and Paul goes, hmm, if, if God shows up more in my life, in my weakness, because that weakness causes me to depend upon him in ways that I wouldn't have done it in my pride, then in a strange way, this weakness has become 
a blessing to me, and if I embrace it properly, it actually becomes a vehicle of the power of Christ to work in my life in ways that would have otherwise not been possible because I wouldn't have realized my need for him in this way. So I will gladly rejoice in my infirmities. I will find a way to glory in what I wish was not there so that God could show up in an amazing way in my life to demonstrate his reality that he is more than I need to overcome this. It's, 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 a, it's a fascinating way of approaching it. And, I, and I, I say all that because some of us struggle. Just hear me out on this. It's been now over, over two decades, almost really three, of exchange, you know, since I was a youth, youth in youth ministry. It's never stopped becoming a truism that I've had, I can tell you over the years, a number of conversations with people who believe in Jesus, who who love God and who, you know, I, I believe and I do, and I come to church and I, and I, I but there, there's so, so much struggle, so much struggle. In fact, they're overwhelmed with weak, sense of weakness. And it's almost like we, I, someone said, we just, we just don't feel, I just don't feel like I have what it takes to live well for God because I always try and I don't do it right and I mess up and I fall back into stuff and I'm trying to do this and I believe and I do love God and, 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 and yet I, I just don't have what it takes. And it's said to me in different ways. And I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I feel badly about my inability to get free of this stuff. And even when I do for a little while, I fall back into it. I fall back into patterns. I fall back into sins. I fall back into my addictions. I fall back into stuff that I don't even want to have in my life. I want to honor God. And I hear this, and, I, and, and I, I've understood it my own self. And there are times where you go, you know, those, and, and a lot of times what happens is it, it, it has a way of causing people to shy away, listen, from Bold ventures and taking responsibility because we're afraid we won't be able to do it. And so rather than being a disappointment to either ourselves, to others, or to God, we just take the root of, well, I guess that's never going to be for me. Meanwhile, the Lord is saying, I didn't tell you that. I never said that. I have a work for you. I have a word for you. I have a song for you to sing. And it's a song of overcoming and it doesn't mean we always get it right and we don't always get it right, but it's a song of growing and becoming more of what he made us to be in him. In other words, there are people we've been, we've been called to touch. And, and, and you know, I, I'll tell you something else. I believe God needs men and women to step forward and represent his heart to a world and a culture in love and grace that needs to seek it lived out. And there needs to be people stepping forward who... Young, old, it doesn't matter, who will carry weight for God, who will take the responsibility to try by his grace to be an example in the circles of life of what it means to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And God needs that. He needs people. He says, Moses says, I can't do it. I'm not your guy. I won't be able to do it. God says, don't say that. Don't say that to me. I don't want to hear it. I have a work for you. I will put words in your mouth. Don't you doubt what I can do in your life. There's a, there's a truth there. We, we oftentimes concede things that God's saying, I have not called you to concede that at all, but to contend for it, to come in my grace and in my power and my strength. And then the third thing the Lord says, I will do for you. 
and it's part of his grace to us, and it shows up in this exchange with Moses. Because what does God do? A lot of times, this will be the final thing I'll address here, is that the Lord, interestingly enough, will send us people to encourage us, to, especially when we doubt God's power and ability to work in our lives. What the Lord will do is he will send us people, he will send us words, he will send us an errand, Moses, you can't speak. Well, guess what? I've got someone who I'm sending your way. And he will be, just as he becomes for you a mouthpiece, in many ways he will be for you in a different way, a blessing sent from me to help strengthen you in your resolve to respond to the things that I'm calling you to move into. And I am convinced that there will be people. The way of overcoming oftentimes is connected to our willingness to invest ourselves relationally. That's why we talk about building quality friendships with people who love God as well in our lives, who we can share deeply with, honestly with, praying for one another, why small group is a valuable expression of larger community, because there are things that can happen there as trust is developed that have to do not with excusing one another, but encouraging one another to move forward, to pursue things that we know God is calling us to pursue, but we become weary in it, or we become fearful in it, and God will challenge us, and oftentimes the word of the Lord will come to us through another person who is saying, no, 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 don't tell you. We agreed. We agreed. We will follow after God. And when we fall, we'll get back up. Come on. Two is better than one. Three-fold cord, not easily broken. Woe be unto that one who falls and has no one with him. Better to be uh, with someone together in this journey of faith. Build relationally. Make the investment. It will pay huge dividends when it comes to a quality life in God. Of this, not only am I convinced, I am convinced beyond that, I am persuaded and believe deeply that it is crucial to living the overcoming life in God and being the difference maker he wants us to be in the circles of our lives. We do, None of us are strong enough to do this alone. This is not a solo life. It involves people, and if we miss the people that God's sending our way, we miss the provision of the Lord for our weakness, at least one of them. So, Lord, as we are here before you, as we have spent this time, invested this time, as we prepare to close the service out, and in so many ways, Lord, the song that we're closing with, beyond the passion of the song, and beyond the fact that it speaks of you, the magnificent one, the great I am, it's also a reminder, that very song itself is a reminder that you are the one who framed us and formed us. You are the one that calls us. You are the one that gives us a song to sing. You, put a, you gave us this ability to speak and to sing a song for you. And you have words for us to share. And, I, and one more thing, Lord, you have given us um, weight to bear for you and the grace to bear it. So that we, and may you stir up the hearts of men and women to stand and to live for you and to contend for you, and to grow, and to just take on the weight, and maybe even be willing to be an example, not in pride. Sometimes, Lord, the greatest act of humility is to trust you with something we don't want to do or don't feel we can do in our own power. So I just pray that as we close this time out, it will be a time of great blessing for us. Bless our time of giving, as many of us honor you with our tithes and offerings. Bless this song that captures so much of what we want to say about the greatness of who you are. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord, and amen.